Welcome back to episode number 179 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is a podcast for building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about explosion test data for artificial sweeteners. So this comes in through our internal dust safety help desk system. This is something that originally started, actually started a number of years ago just through email, but started more formally inside the Dust Safety Academy, where we have an area where you can go ask questions if you're stuck, don't know information, looking for data, looking for understanding or opinions, I mean, go there. But now it's kind of expanded to be a pretty informal system where people send us questions through LinkedIn, through email, through the website, chat form, and really anywhere. We try to capture them into our help desk and answer those the best we can, work with those folks to understand those challenges. If they need support, then we'll hook them through Dust Safety Professionals, the companies that can support them. At the end of the day, really just expand and share the knowledge of combustible dust hazards, the education, understanding of them, and connect people through with the right people to help them with their challenges. We have well over 100 questions logged in help desk today, and we're still getting new ones every week. And this one actually comes in from the Dust Safety Academy. It was something that was posted in the community forum there. So this is an area within the Dust Safety Academy. Uh, you can go to dustsafetyacademy.com to find out more about the about DSA. This is an area inside that community where you can actually ask questions out to, to anyone. And this question came in from Mike Rice, based at Hobart, Tasmania, and that's in Australia. He's an active member inside the Dust Safety Academy. He's also been pretty active with a lot of the other projects that we've been working on through Dust Safety Science and the work that we do. So I'll read the text from his question, and then we'll talk about it a little bit more, um, what came up through the help desk, what came up through sharing through the larger dust explosion community that we have on LinkedIn. But the question itself was, can anyone share or tell me where I can find publicly available explosion test data for artificial sweeteners, specifically stevia, maltolol, and ethyrytol. Um, I'm mostly interested in knowing the MEC, MIT, MIE data to understand how they might compare to sugar and other food dusts. Mike mentioned they tried the Justice database but found no entries for these materials. So kind of a couple points here. One is that there are some common resources for combustible dust data. There is the textbook by the late Dr. Rolf Eckhoff, Dust Explosions in the Processing Industries or in the Process Industries. That book has a, a pretty substantial um, list of appendices with combustible dust test data that he had recorded from the time of the book. Some of the NFPA standards highlight combustible dust test data. And again, uh, Mike in his question referenced the Justice database. That's G-E-S-T-I-S. And that is the German, I believe, Institute for Occupational Safety and Health of the German Social Accident Insurance. So my guess is when you make that into German speak and combine the letters together, they come up with G-E-S-T-I-S. I'm actually not sure about that. They have almost 7,000 records of combustible dust test data in there um, at the moment. And that, that's a really good resource for sort of a first cut look at what data might be available. Although we're going to talk about some challenges come from using these history examples of combustible dust or as literature data for combustible dust in this episode. Uh, we did have some discussion back and forth on this inside the Dust Safety Academy, but we ended up moving the discussion through our help desk through to LinkedIn. So we made a public post on LinkedIn. If you want to read that post, um, you can go to the show outline or the show notes for this episode, which are at dustsafetyscience.com slash 179. If you go there, we'll have an actual link to this discussion on LinkedIn. I'll pull some of the main points out of this discussion that we we had with a number of individuals around the world. It's actually pretty interesting to hear these different viewpoints. So first I want to talk about three challenges that came up and people highlighted as soon as we put this question on, 
on LinkedIn. And one, and we just talked about is using textbook or historical data is not really a great idea. So the parameters such as moisture content, particle size, you know, and several others, but those two are, are, are some of the largest influencers have critical influence on the results. Testing something that's moist uh, versus very, very dry or fine versus very, very large can have a, a very large impact on the MEC, MIE data, on the minimum exposable concentration, minimum ignition energy, but also the propagation rates and maximum pressures of that material. So then anything you do in your processing operation to move that material around, grind it, dry it, humidity changes during you know, one region of the world to another, these all can have very large, like order of magnitude almost effects on the explosion data itself, moving from not exploding at all through to, you know, being quite violent. So in general, then, at least for your engineering design and your explosive design, it's not a great idea to use textbook or historical data. And we talked about that on the podcast four, but it's worth mentioning that's a large challenge that comes up here quite a bit. Challenge number two is what do you have, what do you do when you have many different mixes? And in this case, Mike had mentioned in the LinkedIn post that he's working with a company that might have, you know, a dozen or dozens of different mixes of materials. He's trying to give them some guidance on how to approach that. That can be a very challenging situation. We've talked about that on the podcast before in episode 50 and 54 with Dr. Shok Dasadar from Fauskin Associates. Episode 50 was dust explosion hazards in pharmaceutical industries in episode 54 was dust explosion and combustion test combustion test methods. Uh, again, both with Dr. Shok Dasadar. And what he talked about was developing this, uh, I think called the envelope of safety or this envelope concept for your testing parameters. Throw out all the different mixes. And once you have this envelope, then it's just a matter of any new mixes or new parameters. You sort of test against that safety strategy. So that's one approach you can use. That can still be you know, difficult, can still be quite comprehensive, but it really depends on how different your materials are from each other. And I wouldn't just take, you know, stick your, your thumb up and kind of look at it with your eyes half closed and say, oh yeah, these, these look the same or these, these seem to be the same materials because of the impact of things like moisture content, particle size, they can actually have quite different results. We'll talk a bit about that in this, this episode some more. So that is a challenge that comes up. What do you do when you have many different mixes? This case, um, it's probably a good time to talk to somebody that's done work in this area, maybe a testing laboratory or maybe a consultant that's done work and bring them into the project and say, hey, you know, how do we, how do we evaluate our sampling approach here and how we use that to best manage and impact the hazard analysis and hazard assessment that we're doing? As always, if you need any of that support, you can go to dustsafetyprofessionals.com and we have many experts around the world that can help you with that type of work. Challenge number three, and this one came up a couple of times, it was more griping, I guess. Um, why is combustible dust information not provided on safety data sheets? This is a really great question. We tackled it back in episode 169 of the podcast with Keith Plum about how we might go about adding combustible dust information to material safety data sheets. There is not a solution yet. Some companies are doing this on their own, and that's really great to see, uh, where they do highlight the hazards associated with combustible dust on their safety data sheets. In some cases, there's data there. But you really run into the same challenge as the textbook and historical data. That's only relevant at the conditions that it was tested at. And you really need to be aware about where using that in your, your facility. On the flip side, it can be a great option if you have a you know relatively stable material. If you're buying metal aluminum flakes from a provider and they give you an SDS sheet and you know you're using those same flakes in your operation without any modifications, well then that data from the safety data sheet, you know, may be valid to use. 
again, this takes a trained eye, it takes someone who has experience to be able to evaluate, is this an appropriate use of these material parameters? One thing you can do is if you do have these type of materials that are provided, you can go to your provider and say, hey, can you, would you be interested in doing this type of testing? That's something Ashok mentioned on his podcast episodes as well, where they have many clients that are selling these powders too. It may be more cost effective for them to do the testing than they can broaden this parameters through instead of all the end users testing the materials individually. Again, you run the same challenges with the test book and historical data, making sure that's representative of the hazards that are in place at your facility when you're using and processing those powders. So those are three challenges that came up through this question of the testing of artificial sweeteners. Challenge number one, using textbook or historical data. It's not always a great idea. Um, actually, it's probably best to assume it's not a great idea until you prove otherwise. So let's say it that way. It's not a great idea to use this unless you can prove otherwise that um, it is representative of the hazards that you're looking at. Challenge number two is what to do when you have many different mixes. And challenge number three was why is information not provided on safety data sheets? So then what actually came out of this question? What were the results reported from the community? So one individual through LinkedIn actually reported that they were able to find some sweetener data on JustX database, uh, which was really helpful. So there was sweetener, and this is actually a key point. If you change the wording or the specific materials, in this case, I think Mike was looking for a stevia and not the broad term sweetener. But if you try to play with the words in plural versus non-plural within Justice, you might find more data. So in this case, two samples came up. One was a sweetener mixture for tablet pressing. This was reported as an ST1 dust uh, with medium particle size of 180 micron with 11% less than 64 micron, 2% less than 32 micron. Why am I saying all the microns? That's probably a good question. Because a material that has a mean size of 180 micron with 20% less than 32 micron is a totally different particle size distribution than one that has 2% less than 32 micron is still a mean particle size of 180. Uh, the fines are going to do the most work in that sample in terms of propagating that flame, in terms of propagating that explosion. So it's not just the mean particle size you look at. Really, it'd be nice to plot the whole distribution and look at comparing one material, one sample to another. Say, does this have the same size distribution as the the other material to call it a you know a valid comparison? So that's why I'm saying all the, the different sizes there, just to give you an idea of what might go into that. The second one reported was a sweetener tablet mixture. This was 40% saccharine and sorry for the, the mispronunciation, but these aren't the, the words I'm typically dealing with. This was ST1, uh, 98 bar meter per second was the reported KST, 6.3 bar overpressure, medium particle size of th- 78 micron with 35% less than 32 micron. MIE was very large, greater than 10 joules, or was large, I should say, greater than 10 joules. And MEC uh, was 500 grams per meter cubed. So just starting with this data set then, we're seeing you know not tremendously high ST1 class instead of ST2, which would be 200 to 300 bar meter per second uh, rate of pressurized values, KST values, or ST3 that is 300 and above bar meter per second. So we're seeing this lower classification of the reactivity of the materials, seeing pretty large minimum exposable concentrations and large minimum ignition energies for these materials from the historical data. But then some other folks actually reached out on the LinkedIn post and shared their experience with these same type of materials. So Tim Hennix from Duscon Solutions replied and said that they had a client that opted for dust testing on several samples of sweeteners. It found that it had a much higher KSC than expected. It was in the ST2 class, so 200 to 300 bar meter per second, had very low MIE values. 
And he mentioned that this helped them get the right solution in place as part of their dust hazard analysis. We also have Brian Edwards from Fike reach out and say that he has seen uh, personally tests of fine stevia powder that place in ST3 category with an MIE less than three millijoules. So again, very low ignition, ignition energy. In this case, the material tested at a mean diameter less than 10 micron, which had a, a significant impact on the results. And it was only one test. It wasn't a full set of KST, MEC, PMAX testing. It was only one test. But the, the note from Brian was that people handling artificial sweeteners should definitely consider testing the material. So I want to show these sort of in juxtaposition to each other. We had these, you know, you went to the historical database, you found sweetener, you grabbed the values, you used an MEC of 500 grams per meter cubed, a MIE of 10 joules, and, uh, you know, you call it an ST1 dust, you say it has 100 bar meter per second uh, KST value, and you use that in your hazard assessment and then start using that in your engineering design work, you're going to be in trouble if you comes to find out that was not representative of your sample. So in this case, then we had two other samples that represented one with ST2, 200 to 300 bar meter per second and low MIE values and, and even ST3 up to, or as low as three millijoules. So, so quite low, quite easy to ignite. So this is just goes to show that really the best solution is going to be to get your material tested until you can prove that it is representative of the historical values that you're looking at or the literature values that are representative of the materials that you're testing. And this shouldn't just be a, I think it's representative kind of deal. You really would need to go and look at particle size and, and make a pretty strong argument on whether or not you can use that literature data. And at the end of the day, it's probably better just get material tested anyway. In summary then, in this episode, we've been talking through this question of explosion test data for artificial sweeteners. Again, this came in through the Dust Safety Help Desk, our, our internal system there was originally a question through the Dust Safety Academy posted by one of the members there looking for test parameters for stiffing other materials. Mike did mention when he put this post in that he's well aware that and has made the recommendation to the company to get the materials tested. But the challenge he's up against at the moment was they had many different mixtures and he wanted to try to find something that at least bound the results of what he might be looking at uh, by reaching out to the community. And thankfully he did because he actually got something that bounded the results. Could be ST1 all the way up to ST3 class. And I think he was able to interact with some of those folks that had reached out through LinkedIn um, and maybe even get access to their test data to show his client to say, hey, you know, you do got to get your material tested here because the literature data might not be representative. That's really the whole point of this episode then is to say, if you're going to make that argument that the literature data is representative, there are a lot of things to consider there. Particle size, distribution, not just the mean particle size, but what is the percentage of fines? It's going to play a big role. Moisture content is going to play a big role. Um, agglomeration and fracturing of particles can play a big role depending on how you're processing them and also depending on how you're testing them. We didn't really talk about this in the episode, but how you actually do the tests is a big thing as well. So if you're pulling test data from literature sources, you need to really dig in and say, did they you know, follow ASTM E1226? or those sort of related standards, they you know they follow the European methods for this, or do they sort of make up their own system? In many cases, and with many materials, say, maybe fibrous materials, you may need to make modifications to the standard testing protocol in order to actually be able to test that material at all. And in those cases, you want to know, did those modifications make the results different than what you're going to see in your processing operation at the end of the day? We talked about three challenges with using literature data. Using textbook and historical data is not a great idea to start with. Probably assume it's not a good idea until proven otherwise. Challenge number two is what do we do? We have many different mixtures. Challenge number three is why is there no information provided in safety data sheets? And these are all things we've tackled on the podcast before and even open issues that we'll be tackling moving forward as well. So if you have any input, any 
comments on those. I'd love to hear them. You can reach me at chris at dustcityscience.com. These show notes will be at dustcityscience.com slash 179 if you want to learn more about it. And we closed out talking about the results that came in from the post on LinkedIn. Again, you can get that from the show notes as well. Showing this different range of results have been reported for sweeteners, really highlighting the need to do an evaluation of the specific material at the site that you're working with. So that's it for this week. I hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. Appreciate everything you're doing to interest handling combustible dust. Keep them safe for every day and keep it up out there. We really appreciate it. Thank you.